ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Coming up on this episode of the Golf Central Podcast, presented by TaylorMade, we get into Sung J M's breakthrough victory at the Honda Classic. We talk about Tommy Fleetwood and his continuing search for a victory on the PGA Tour. And we look ahead to the Arnold Palmer Invitational, which will go on without Tiger Woods. But welcome in to the Golf Central Podcast, presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver. The driver head was in need of a drastic change in order to provide more performance, so TaylorMade changed the shape altogether with their new Sim Driver, which allowed them to make it fast and forgiving where every golfer needs it, the downswing. The pros love the new shape, but the biggest reason TaylorMade changed the shape was to help make you into a better golfer. So check out TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. And with that, I'm Will Gray. Pleased to welcome in uh, fellow GolfChannel.com writer Nick Menta. Nick, thanks for joining us. And I guess uh, we'll start off with, give me, give me a takeaway here. Sung J.M. gets into the winner's circle on a difficult day, difficult week down at PJ National. What stood out to you? Two words, bear trap. Just oh, so boy. I could do it to you right there off the you bat. There you go. Uh, we'll but, get that out of the way now. But it does sort of start and end there. I mean, to, to hit those two shots that he hit at 15 and 17 to identical distances, might I add, 7 feet, 10 inches, um, in that kind of environment, over water, with so much on the line and so much danger lurking, to go flag hunting in those two spots and to play with was sort of a reckless abandon for, for a young guy uh, was really impressive, and, and he did everything to earn that win. As, as much as Tommy had a shot— Mackenzie Hughes had a shot. Uh, the way he played those last four holes, he earned it. Channeling a little Herm Edwards, you play to win the game, right? <laughs> I mean, this was this was a guy coming down the stretch. He's been he's been close before. Listen, he won Rookie of the Year last year on the PGA Tour. He seemingly plays every week. He's, Thirty-five starts yes. last year. He's played thirteen out of eighteen weeks this year. He's yes. the Tour's Iron Man, but mostly because he's living out of hotels. Yes, so he's living. So everyone knows he's living out of hotels. He does not have a permanent residence in the U.S. He turns twenty-two. Later this month, I think last year, he, there were four weeks, you could count, where he was eligible and didn't play. Like He may have only missed a couple, but one of them was Kapalua, which he wasn't eligible for. Right. Some of the early WGCs he hadn't worked his way into. So when he had a chance to play, he played almost every single week. Uh, earlier this season, lost in a playoff at the Sanderson Farms to Sebastian Munoz. That was one he probably let get away down the stretch and probably the closest he's come to getting that PJ Tour victory. And now in his 50th start, at just age 21, uh, he's, he's got a trophy. And 48 of those have come in the last year and a half, right? Or I yeah. guess the last season and a half, we should say. Yeah, his, his two-year rolling window for the world rankings covers about seven months because he, he plays all, all the time. Um, e- even the, the story of having the caddy on the bag, just a 
you know, a friend of his from the Corn Ferry Tour who he picked up for the week. What a, what a great week for Alvin Shoy to pick up yep. a golf bag. Yep. Um, it was well-deserved. I, I, I don't want to shortchange Sungjae because I, I thought he was actually a popular winner considering, like, we talked about last week, you know, sort of like building a cast of characters on the PGA Tour. Um, Sungjae, like, for a 21-year-old guy with, with a, a language barrier, he still requires a translator when he does interviews, like, has sort of developed a character for himself, right? He is now the tour's Ironman. And you could see, like, not to give golf Twitter too much credit, but, like, he was a popular champion yesterday, so it was nice to see him pull it off. He was for sure. And you are starting to look back to this President's Cup in uh, December at Royal Melbourne. Now you've got Sungjae gets a victory. Cameron Smith got a victory. There's a lot of players. Mark Leishman has, has carried on, and Adam Scott as well. Even though the international team came up short on Sunday against the U.S., that there's a lot of momentum from playing. Maybe perhaps it's how late it was that you were really able to quantify that momentum into the new year, but a lot of guys have, have taken strong performances down at Royal Melbourne and quickly turned them into PGA Tour victories in the early part of 2020. I want to I pivot here to Tommy Fleetwood. Go for it. Uh, we share the ball here, so you go right ahead. Do you want to do you want to start with the guy screaming in his downswing, or where do we want to go? With I this? would just well, we can start with that. That's fine. Get in the hole. Guy needs to just go away. Yes, it's just absurd. Uh, you know, scream all you want. I guess like say things, but just don't do it when the guy's swinging. It's a six tenth of a second moment when the guy is actually over the ball and about to swing. We, we've seen this come up at this event a couple years ago. Justin Thomas had to get a guy thrown out on the sixteenth hole from, for screaming for the ball to get in the water. I mean, this is something that happens. Anytime you mix, you know, long afternoons and, and thirsty fans and it's sixteen dollar beers yeah, and some sun. And it's just gonna happen, but it's just it it crosses the line too frequently and especially when you have a situation like this where a guy has the tournament literally on the line, sitting on his club face, Birdie gets him into a playoff. To have to deal with that, I know he and his caddy, Ian Finnis, both said they didn't hear it. It may have been further down towards the, the green. Right. But we it, we it, should say all that being said, he did it didn't infect him, or yeah. at least that's what he said. Our, our Randy this Mel time. chased him down in the parking lot. Right. But, but this is the second time on tour this year where we've seen someone yell out in a high-profile spot. We had it happen to Patrick Reed at the Tournament of Champions. Both guys said they didn't hear it, but I think you and I can both agree. Maybe we should just like wait the extra tenth of a second. Right. Right. This is this is the, you know, golf fan version of trying to be first in the comment section. So uh, the, the sooner we can curb that behavior, the better. As for the shot itself. Yes. Um, Not great. Watching him in that fairway, I immediately thought back to Rory McIlroy in 2014. Now, he didn't win this event, but he did hit that five wood to yep. what, five, ten feet. Just a, a glorious shot right at that pin on the right that's hanging out over the water. I don't know that Tommy was thinking about that, but I was, and it just... I immediately went back there, and even though he didn't pull the shot off, he overcooks that cut, and it ends up in the water just right of the green. I was glad to see him go after it uh, because unlike somebody like Mackenzie Hughes, one week is not going to make Tommy Fleetwood's career. Yep. And when you're already a top 12 player in the world, or I guess he's top 10 as of this morning, you can take that chance. You can be in that spot and say, I'm going for that pin because I know that the reward is significantly higher than – you know, the risk of me finishing third. Yeah, we saw this last year with Tommy as well at, at the Players' Championship when he was in contention coming down the stretch on Sunday and he went flag hunting at 17 and rinsed his ball and ended up making a double and it, it cost him a bunch of money. And he's like, listen, I don't care. I'm playing to win right. and I'm going to go for that pin 10 times out of 10, much like he was he was approaching the final shot yesterday knowing that a birdie was going to get him into a playoff with Sungjae. I will say, I mean, that, that was a little bit of a loose shot knowing how much room you have left 
of that pin. You've got a collection area. You've got a couple bunkers. It's not exactly, uh, you know, a, a confidence-building shot. You've got to a go. grandstand. You've got a grandstand, as Mackenzie Hughes found out. But you've got a, a little pocket there on the left to miss and then potentially still get up and down. It's not like he needed – he's playing with Brendan Steele, who needs Eagle to get into the playoffs. So, so with Brendan, I understand it's 12 feet or bust. But with Tommy, knowing that he needed to find a way to make four with, I believe, a, a four iron or something in his hand, that that maybe you, you take a little bit more of a conservative line or, or you you know you go for the cut, but if it doesn't cut, you're still going to end up okay down the left. Obviously, he missed it in the one spot there where he can't, and then he's, he's left to try and hold the wedge to, to get into a playoff. I, I was good with the shot. Uh, and, you know, as much as you're right, maybe you play for four there, the way he approached it after the round was – if I make three, I win. I don't have to worry about a playoff. I don't have to go back down 18 again, and I can get off this golf course and take the trophy I with me. I can just so, leave. I get to go yeah, home. I, I'll take my shot right now. He, yeah. sh- he shot his shot. He did. Uh, all right, so I want to talk about uh, some of the comments that Tommy Fleetwood did not hear during the broadcast. NBC golf analyst Paul Azinger kind of stirring the, the proverbial pot here, talking about – I can see your eye rolls even though this is an audio medium uh, – <laughs> talking about, you know, does Tommy Fleetwood need to win on the PGA Tour? He's 10th in the world. He's by, far and away the highest ranked, the most decorated player without a PGA Tour win. And we need to first, you know, lay out the credentials. This is a guy who has five wins on the European Tour. He won the season-long race to Dubai in 2017. He starred in the Ryder Cup two years ago. He's finished second at the U.S. Open, second at the Open. He has bona fide credentials, but what he does not have in three full seasons of playing in the U.S. is a PGA Tour victory. And so Azinger's floating this notion of you can win as much as you want in Europe, around the world, but you need to win in the U.S., implying that it, you need it to validate being, being a great player. And, you know, understandably, some European uh, players and, and commentators took – offense or took a slight to that. It, this is something that we've seen come up in years past with Lee Westwood, who has won 44 times around the world, but only twice in the U.S., Ian Poulter as well, Luke Donald, these guys that are trying to split both sides of the, of the Atlantic, and, and you maybe have more wins on one side than the other. What were your thoughts overall on just the, the entire debate? I, I kind of want to flip this right back to you, because we were just talking off air about Tommy's strength of, of schedule, or sorry, strength, strength of field, field in yeah. the events that he has won. And, and you had the stats. Yeah, so it's, he's got five wins in Europe. Three of them have a, a stronger strength of field based on the world ranking. It's kind of how you quantify everything than, than this week's Honda Classic did. So he's won some big events. The French Open uh, comes to mind. He's, he, as I said, he's won the season-long race to Dubai. So it's not like he's picking off the third-tier events in Europe. He's winning some big events with some big names in him. And maybe you can take exception to how the OWGR is calculated, but he's still a top-ten player of the world, yeah. right? It's it's not as though that you know winning in Europe is somehow having an adverse effect on his career, um, and it can be hard to to win internationally and win in the United States. We've seen Paul Casey in recent years sort of eschew European Tour membership just to focus on the PGA Tour because he felt like it would give him a better chance to win rather than constantly trying to juggle one versus the other. And he did. He, and he did. He, he won twice at, at Tampa after going nearly ten years without a victory in the PGA Tour. Um, no, I, I don't particularly subscribe to the notion that you have to win in the United States to be relevant. Uh, this is a global game. Um, we, you have the, you know, you and I have the capacity to watch the European Tour every morning if we want. Uh, there's there's strong fields all around the world, and like I said, Tommy's a top ten player. He's got two major runner ups. No, he's, he's perfectly legitimate. Yeah, I think you can run down the list, and you know, I don't want to take shots at, at guys who've won four or five times in the PGA Tour, but you can run down that list of. 
who have won four or five times the and, PJ and Tour. And it's not as and impressive take, as plenty of these yes, other guys who do you have. Take, do you take Tommy Fleetwood or X? I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood a whole lot out of that group. So, uh, All right, so I want to turn our attention now to this week. It's a home game for us uh, at the Arnold Palmer Invitational just down the road at Bay Hill. We've got a decorated field. A lot of big names coming to town, but one big name who is sitting it out. we got to start there, of course. Start with the guy who's not here. Start with the guy who's not here, and that is Tiger Woods, who has won eight times at Bay Hill before. He skipped last year because of a neck strain. He he entered and then withdrew. When he opted out of the WGC Mexico Championship, everyone kind of expected him to be like, okay, he's going to play Bay Hill. And we didn't expect him to play the Honda. Right. That was was not a surprise. But you thought, all right, he's going to play Bay Hill. He's going to play players. He maybe adds the match play at the end of the month, and that's going to be his schedule. And now all of a sudden, not only is he not playing – Bay Hill, but his agent Mark Steinberg tells ESPN that it's because of back stiffness. So mm-hmm. there is something physical going on. You know how do, how do you feel about this opportunity for him to skip versus maybe d- does it change your outlook? Him skipping Bay Hill versus him skipping Mexico. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at this. Um, one of which is three. Let's say he played Bay Hill, the players, and then added the match play. That's three and four weeks, which feels upper limit for him these days. Right. As it is, even a healthy Tiger. Three out of four weeks and then four out of six through the Masters feels like a lot of golf. Um, so it would not have surprised me not to see him here, even though mm-hmm. he's had such success on this golf course, winning eight times. If he had just played the players and played the match play and rolled into the Masters, I wouldn't have thought much of it. But when Steinberg comes out and says, look, his, his back is still stiff. It's, this isn't a scheduling decision. This isn't – I guess it's precautionary, but the fact that you're hearing the word back again doesn't make you feel good. Yeah, for sure. And now you go back. Last year, he had one stretch where he played back-to-back weeks, and that was Riviera into Mexico. And then had to skip this event because he had next difference. Correct. And so the thought was, well, this you know either he's going to go Riviera-Mexico or he's going to go Bay Hill players, but he was going to have some back-to-back stretch in this spring. Now he's not. So it's, it's very likely, I would say, that he's going to go the entire 2020 campaign without playing two consecutive weeks, and I think that that might just be a state of affairs for him right now at age 44, dealing with the fused back. You know, he it, he has limitations, and, and kudos to him, I guess, for, for, you know, leaning into it and understanding just how far he can or cannot push himself, but when he's talking about, you know, everything is done with an eye on Augusta, and, and he's got the green jacket hanging in his closet as a testament to the fact that he knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to getting everything at 100% or close to it for the Masters, it still rings a little bit of a of an alarm bell when you see him missing these events that are free points, no cut, uh, you know, a, a course where he's played well before, that that he's running out of chances to fine tune a game that definitely did not seem to be firing on all cylinders over the the weekend at Genesis when we last saw him. Whether or not there is cause for concern with the back, I think moving forward, what's a little bit disappointing is that. Bay Hill is going to be in front of the players, right? as far as we know. And if he's determined not to play back-to-back weeks, even when he's feeling good and his back is limber, then if he's going to prioritize the Players' Championship, which is the Tour's crown jewel, it's the fifth major, if he's going to prioritize that over Bay Hill, then that means he has to take out of his schedule on a yearly basis a golf course he's won on eight times. Yep. Um, And so as much as... We like seeing Tiger play in these limited starts, and we want to see him rip off number 83, number 84, number 85, whatever it is. He is taking out a golf course that has seen him. And this isn't like Torrey Pines, which maybe doesn't set up well for him anymore. He contended at Bay Hill just two years ago. Right, right. And, and, and I was... feel like 
I feel like if he's feeling good, he can continue to contend on that golf course. And so if it's going to be out of his schedule, either because his back isn't feeling good or even when it is, he just doesn't want to play back-to-back weeks, that's a shame. And we need to look into next year, you know, news is coming out now that the Honda, which has been played in between Mexico and Bay Hill the last couple of years, that's going to go behind the players. So you could potentially be looking at a stretch starting in 2021 where you go Riviera, Mexico, Bay Hill players. So you have two elevated status events. The WGC and and the fifth major, the fifth major, and and so and those are four events that that he has played. You know, Tiger's not alone in this of trying to figure out where you are going to play or where you, where you're going to skip. No one really wants to play four straight weeks, especially with the players being the fourth out of those four leading into the Masters or coming out of the gates in a new year. But that's just kind of the state of the spring schedule where there are a lot of big events. And there's not that many weeks to go around. You're going to have to play them pretty close to it, to each other in proximity. Well, transitioning from not wanting to play four in a row to a guy who has now made the decision to play five weeks in a row. There you go. Is Brooks Kapka, who <laughs> uh, not a great week at the Honda. No. Bails out was... early. Uh, but, but said it's, it's not knee-related. Yes. And to prove that it's not knee-related and to get himself sort of rolling ahead of Augusta, because this is a guy who in the past when he hasn't been able to practice so much – plays his way into form, he's going to play five weeks in a row starting last week through the match Tampa. play. Yeah, or through through the match play. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, this, listen, I felt like last week Kepka was the, the dog in the room on fire meme where it's like everything's fine. <laughs> everything's you know on, on fire around me, but everything's fine. I'm hitting good shots. I'm just making triple bogeys. Uh, this was a, a bottoming out of what has been a mediocre year by his standards. I mean, he's coming off the knee surgery. He had to withdraw in Korea in the fall. He comes back in Europe, and, you know, he's playing decent, but he's not cracking the top 15. And now all of a sudden he shoots back-to-back rounds of 74. And really by Friday you could tell he was just kind of – he seemed mentally checked out. And, and so now you're right. He adds Bay Hill. He's already was committed to, to playing the Valspar Championship in a couple weeks. And so this is going to be a key run for a guy who has made – a killing at the majors over the last three or four years, and and more so than anyone knows how to bring out his best at the biggest events. It seems to me like it's a sign, an implication that he is searching for something. It might not be related to the knee, but clearly his game is not quite where he wants it to be at this part of the season with the Masters now just five or six weeks away. And it's going to be interesting to see you know what he's able to do and how he's able to perform in the, over the next month. You know, he said just two weeks ago that that, that knee injury that shut down the season last fall was a lot worse than he let on. Yep. And now he's telling you that the knee's not an issue. Maybe it's not, but now at least we know he has a documented history of saying that this thing's maybe not as bad as I'm letting on. Or, or, or it's I'm, worse. I'm not yeah. telling you. Yeah, how that it bad could be worse. Um, and he also said he didn't know that the knee will ever be 100%. And when I read that, I was like, well, that doesn't instill a lot of confidence in me. But this is a guy who, on one leg last year, still ripped off a major, and continually week after week would play his way into form over the span of two, three, four weeks. Yeah. So maybe that's exactly what he's looking to do by playing five in a row. But if your knee isn't great and you're going to keep putting strain on it, uh, you know, some something's got to give one way or the other. Maybe you play your way into form or maybe you, you play further exacibate out. your knee right. issues. I right. don't know. Uh, w- no one can know. I mean, we are not medical professionals, unfortunately, and we're also not Brooks Kepka. So, you know, he's the one that knows exactly what his knee feels like. But it, it is certainly, I don't know about a turning point, but it's going to be an interesting couple weeks to see what exactly he's able to do. He's played well before at Sawgrass, and that's, of course, where you think that he would, he would set up well next week. And, and then we'll see what he has at, at Innisbrook and then going into Austin. Uh, all right, so let's look at who else is in this field this week at Bay Hill. And, and I'd have to start with uh, the reigning player of the year who won here two years ago in dramatic fashion. 
Rory McIlroy, who, who has finished T6 at Bay Hill each of the last three years. It took him a while to play Bay Hill. It, had, it took some, some arm twisting from the king, Arnold Palmer, to get Rory into the field. And now that he's here, he's played for the last five years and had some, some pretty good success. So it's been a good add to his schedule, it would seem. But, but he's headlining a field that has a lot of other uh, top names. You mentioned Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau is playing, Patrick Reed, Adam Scott. There's a lot of star power coming to Orlando this week. Jason Day and Phil Mickelson as well. Um, yes, that's you know, so, pre- I'm talking current star power. Sorry. But yes, it's okay. They're they're both searching in their own rights. We talked about how Honda's moving. Yes, because last week we focused on well, Honda was the event that got squeezed. Okay, so this is an elevated status event, and clearly this was the winner at least in terms of scheduling when we talked about that stretch from Mexico to Palm Beach to Orlando to Jacksonville. So yeah, the field's a lot better. This is a golf course that, while not as demanding as PGA National, can put up a test and has in the past, especially when the, the rough gets pretty gnarly left and right. Um, this has also been a ball striker's golf course, which is why it's benefited Rory. Or you've seen a guy like Francesco Molinari mm-hmm. win here last year. Henrik Stenson, who's local, has not won, but is seemingly always in the mix at this event. Um, I don't want to compare it to Lake Off National, but for whatever reason, uh, European Ryder Cuppers who strike the ball particularly well seem to succeed on this golf course. Yeah, well, last year we saw we saw Molinari beat Fleetwood uh, in, in you know the pairing that shocked the world at, at in Paris the previous fall. But uh, side note, this is going to be a good week to reflect on what in the world has happened to Francesco Molinari since we left Augusta. I mean, he is seemingly not the same guy since you know he was. Within nine holes of winning two out of three majors and, and just playing the best golf of his life for a 12- or 18-month stretch, and now the guy just can't find the broad side of a barn, and he's switched caddies, and it hasn't helped, and he's looking for a spark. You know, he's missed three straight cuts, and the only time he didn't miss a cut was in Mexico because there wasn't a cut. I, I, what do you make of it? Yeah, I think that it's it's a situation where there's an emotional toll when you lose a major, especially in the in the way that he did coming into the final round with a lead, playing in the final group with Tiger. I mean, there's a lot to that. And then feeling like you still got the tournament in your hands with with nine or ten holes to go, only to to rinse a couple balls at, at inopportune times. And so maybe he he didn't quite take enough time to let that sink in. I don't know what the what the timeline is for that. I mean, I feel like Scott Hoke is probably still waiting for the eighty nine Masters to sink in. So it, it's all on an individual level. Uh, we saw Rory blow the Masters in 2011 and bounce back and win the very next major two months later. It's similar with Adam Scott losing at Lytham and winning the Masters the following year. So different players bounce back in different ways, but this is clearly something that is more than just a six- or eight-week thing with Molinari, where it, it, he's just not the same guy right now as he was a year ago. Uh, all right, so... Looking at the the rest of the field, as we said, there's there's plenty of star power. You've got a lot of guys that have already won this year. Patrick Reed is making his first start uh, since winning in Mexico. Adam Scott is making his second start since winning in LA. You've got Sung Jay. Uh, and do you have an early guy that you're looking at? Anyone that that you've circled to say, hey, this is this is kind of someone that I'm going to put my muscle behind. Bryson certainly seems like he's trending. I mean, former runner up here, he's played well. Fifth in L.A., second in Mexico, um, and then we just talked about how this is a ball strikers golf course. He is second on tour in strokes and tee degree. Yep. So, I, right. Sorry. Let me let me back that up. He's eleventh. Okay. <laughs> but either still either good. way, still good. Um, he seems like he's he's making progress after putting on all the weight, and if he puts it all together, he's, he's certainly trending in the right direction. I I like him this week. 
Uh, you mentioned this guy earlier, but I, I have an eye on Henrik Stenson. We Felton mentioned that the renaissance of the old guard at PJ National. You had Luke Donald, Lee, Lee Westwood. Westwood coming right. Listen, Lee Westwood is right now in position to make the European Ryder Cup team as an automatic qualifier. He's 27th, 28th in the world. This is this is an absolute renaissance. He won earlier this year in Abu Dhabi, tied for fourth. Sunday, PJ National, you know, no one had more fun at the 2018 Ryder Cup than Lee Westwood <laughs> did as an assistant captain wearing sunglasses sitting in the back of the room. But he might uh, be in a situation where he's going to be hitting some putts and hitting some shots when we get to whistling straights. At 47 years old, no less. Hey, it's the, the numbers are what the numbers are, and he, he's certainly playing well. So I have an eye on Stenson. Maybe there's a trend going on, but this is a guy, as you said, who has come very close to winning this event. Going back to 2013, he has finished eighth or better five times without winning. Three uh, times in the top three. Yeah. So he's had a number of close calls, hasn't played in the last few weeks, but I'm interested to see if he's able to turn back the clock again on a course where, as you said, this is a place where you have to hit a lot of four irons, and there's not many people in the game that I trust more with a four iron than Henrik Stenson. Um, all right, so I want to turn. We, we always do some, some food stuff. We're going to get to the hometown cooking in a second, but if we're going to do a food stop, we have to talk about Tiger's Master's Menu. <laughs> he released it last week, or he hinted at it at least. We're going with some sort of combo of fajitas and sashimi, like a surf and turf sort of thing. Possibly milkshakes. Not sure yet, but I think he's probably leaning towards it. What, what were your, your takeaways on it? It's that? a rerun. Yeah. Give me something new. Yeah, I kind of agree. It was, I mean, you go back you to... You can't bu- mess up surf and turf, but come on. You know, look, it's your 15th major. It's your fifth green jacket. You've had 15 years since you last hosted to think this dinner. About it. Yes. Yes, so maybe we could put a new twist on. Maybe you let the kids say, like, hey, what's, you know, Sam and Charlie, what would you like to have? Imagine Not getting to the point the in your career where you're hosting the Masters Champions Dinner and you're like, I'm mailing it in. Take what the I, steak. What I do last night? Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, I still can't get over Bubba in two years apart serving the exact same menu where he said, well, it, was, it worked well the first time. We're going to serve it again. If you know what you like, you know what you like. You know what you like. Uh, yeah, so I, I would give Tiger a middling B for that. But all right, so we're in Orlando. You and I are both uh, live here. and We've got the home game this week. What is your number one food rec for fans visiting uh, Bay Hill? Speaking of knowing what you like, are you aware, Will Gray, that within seven miles of Bay Hill, there are three different Miller's Ale houses? <laughs> I did not know that. Serious suggestion uh, would be Yellow Dog Eats in Gotha. Yes. Okay. It's only 15 minutes from Bay Hill. You make a left. Uh, <laughs> That's a, you make a left. Those you make a left and you're there. Uh, it'll take you an hour in uh, Windermere rush hour traffic. It should only take you 15 minutes. You've got a really cool back patio, nice little beer selection. Half the menu is pulled pork. I would tell you to go with the pulled pork nachos. This is deep dive. I like this. This, this would be my serious suggestion. Do you have anything? Uh, in mind? Well, certainly when you're when you're talking in and around Bay Hill, the tableside guac at Rocco's Tacos gets a lot of love and deservedly so. I would say venture a little west. I live on the west side of town. Uh, go over to Winter Garden. Go to Cricket Can. Have oh, the yourself, brewery. Have yourself a little, yes. you know, little bite to eat and a, a libation on the patio. Very nice this time of year, uh, but certainly a lot, a lot to choose from in and around town. One so. late night option that's just a, a nine iron from Bay Hill that you'll find me at often is the uh, Sloppy Taco Palace. There you go. Yeah, so uh, serve mixed drinks in pint glasses, <laughs> and they put queso in everything, and they are open until at least two a.m. This is perfect. Okay, is, we're, so we're peeling back the onion here. I like it. Uh, we, listen, if you're in town, we got options. We got options. Uh, all right. Well, this has been fun. Uh, it's going to be a big week uh, at the Home of the King, Arnold Palmer Invitational. It was an exciting week at PJ National, where once again, par was a good score. It's been, it's been a while since we've seen that outside of majors. But uh, Nick Menta, thanks for joining me. Uh, your host, Will Gray. And this, again, is the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.